You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. Our first text is from Isaiah 7, and if you turn to page 572 in your pew Bibles, you can follow along from Isaiah 7. And as a quick reminder, every week we want you to know that if you do not have a Bible at home, you are always welcome to take one of these with you. Redeemer would love to gift you with the word. Isaiah 7 from, excuse me, Isaiah 7 from verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, well, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. The word of the Lord. All rise for the reading of the gospel. This morning we're reading from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, found on page 807 in your pew Bibles. The Holy Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Please be seated. Oh, love you, Steve. Thanks for reading for us. Hey, good morning, church. Good morning to you all. If you're new and visiting for the first time, welcome to Redeemer. Glad you're here. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dan. I'm very grateful to serve here as a pastor. Now, by way of orientation, today is the fourth Sunday in the season of Advent. We've got one more week till Christmas Day, and I hope that all of you will join us on Christmas Eve for either the 4 p.m. or the 6 p.m. Lessons and Carol's service. Both of them are exactly the same. Uh, just go to, the, go to the one that works best with your schedule. It's an incredible night of music uh, and listening and learning as we wait and we keep watch together. Christmas Eve is something of a vigil. It's the last day of Advent. We're still waiting expectantly together. And then Christmas Day, we have a 10 a.m. communion service. It's only half an hour. Christmas Eve is like, let's get dressed up. It's a big deal. Put on your nicest clothes. Christmas Day, come in your PJs. It's all right. We are six years into the process of reclaiming Christmas Day as a day of worship for the church. Historically, Christmas Day, always a day of worship for the church. Right around the 1970s, the nuclear family displaced, bumped church as the epicenter for what Christmas Day celebration is supposed to be about. And we're just bumping back. We're kind of working uphill on that one. So join us on Christmas Day if you like. Now, um, as we get into the sermon, as we look at both the text from Isaiah and the text from Matthew, it would be right for us to begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It feels really good to have an ally, doesn't it? It feels good when someone has your back. You've got a military background. It feels good when somebody has your six, right? An ally is more than a friend. An ally is kind of different from a buddy. It's definitely a lot more than a bestie. Uh, When you're struggling, an ally doesn't send hashtag thoughts and prayers. An ally shows up and gets to work, right? That's what an ally does. I know that uh, many of you are likely fans of the TV show, The Office. I'm going to switch microphones real quick here. I know that many of you are fans of the TV show, The Office, and so if you have seen that, you, I know not everybody has, but don't worry, I'll explain it. What you may remember is that there's this scene where all of the employees of this fictitious paper company called Dunder Mifflin are facing layoffs from corporate And the most absurdly lovable character, Dwight Schrute, uh, goes to kind of the main character, Jim, and says to him, very covertly and secretly, do you want to form an alliance? And Jim teaches us, the viewer, and his romantic interest, Pam, in this little episode, that whenever Dwight Schrute asks you, do you want to form an alliance, there's only one appropriate answer, which is, absolutely, I do, right? Uh, Because, of course, the point is that it's good to have an ally, even if your ally is Dwight Schrute. And there have been times that I have really needed allies. In June of 2013, our family was living right outside of Denver when the Black Forest Fire began on June 11th and burned for nine days, destroying, some of you might remember this, 14,000 acres and over 500 homes. It was really bad. And in the middle of that week, our family was forced to evacuate. And since we had just signed a lease, a new lease on a home kind of in the city, uh, and we were set to move in about a week and a half, and not wanting to risk all of our stuff getting burned up, we just decided to move early. 
like in one day. Like that morning we woke up thinking we weren't moving and by about lunchtime we decided we're moving today. And so I sent out emails and text messages and phone calls to every single human being that I knew in the Denver area begging for people to come to our home and help us pack and to get our stuff out of the house before it all burned up. And allies showed up. People showed up and it was friends. It was friends of friends. It was extended family members of friends of friends. I was meeting people for the first time in our driveway and then they were loading like furniture and suitcases and all kinds of stuff into the backs of their cars. And then I had to spend the next month trying to figure out like in the back of whose car is the kids' toothbrushes because they just like scattered all over the city. But it was great. Allies showed up and we got it done. We made it out. I will be forever indebted to those dear people. Everybody needs an ally. It is one of the loneliest, most vulnerable feelings to think that nobody has your back that if you fall, like nobody is going to come and help pick you back up again. I was thinking about this the other day when I was out for a jog and I was running in a part of the city that I don't usually run in. And I stepped off a curb and I twisted my ankle and it's okay. I'm fine. I know you're all very concerned. And, but I thought in that moment, if I go down here, nobody will ever find me. Like Rachel knows where I normally run and this is not that place. And so if they send out a search party, they're not going to come here. If I go down, nobody's going to get me. It's a very vulnerable feeling. Uh, Catholic author G.K. Chesterton put it this way, there are no words to express the abyss of isolation between uh, being alone and having even just one ally. This is a little bit old school language, but he, he goes on to write, it may be conceded to the mathematician that four is twice two, but two is not twice one. Two is 2,000 times one. And his insightful point is, of course, that the difference between being alone and vulnerable and even having just one ally is all the difference in the world. Someone came up to me after the service uh, at the nine o'clock and said, so I guess that song by Three Dog Night is just right. One really is the the loneliest number. And that's true. And uh, we're talking about this because you, you may not be aware, but the story of the Bible is actually the story of a God who knows and understands this kind of loneliness and vulnerability and who actually offers himself to people as an ally. You may not be used to thinking of God as an ally, but that's the story the Bible tells. Just think about it. God creates the world in the beginning of the biblical story, and he doesn't leave it. He remains present in it, walking in the cool of the day with human beings. And then after the fall into sin, God goes looking for his people. He doesn't leave. He doesn't ditch. And then after humanity is exiled from the garden, God still pursues them. He protects Noah and his family through the floodwaters. He safeguards Abraham and Sarah. He fights for the freedom of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He's present with God's people in the wilderness for 40 years, in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night, symbolizing God's presence with them. As they even enter into the promised land of Canaan, God is still with them, and in fact, he fights for them. Even after his people reject him and try to live without him, and they're conquered by the Babylonian empire and get carted off towards that terrifyingly immense pagan city of Babylon. Still, God goes into exile with his people. He shows up. The story of the Bible, over and again from the Old Testament on through the New Testament, is the story of a God who keeps showing up with his people to be with them and to be for them as an ally. From beginning to end, the story of the Bible tells a story that church people believe that they are in that we are in, still in the story of a God who is an ally to us, always with us, 
always for us. That's the story of the Bible. And yet, in both of our scripture readings today, we hear echoes of that story, echoes of a God who is an ally. And as we explore this a little bit deeper and talk about what it means for God to be an ally to us and with us, we're going to talk about, and this is where if you're a nerd like me and you like categories and you like taking notes, here are your categories. We're going to talk about the invitation that is here, the invitation to have God as your ally. We're going to talk about the absurdity of God being an ally. And then finally, the possibility. Okay, so the invitation, the absurdity, and the possibility. Let's start with the invitation. A few minutes ago, Lane Cowan read from Isaiah chapter 7. And if you've ever, maybe you've had this experience before, where you hear someone start reading a story, maybe start reading the Bible, and the story seems to pick up right in the middle of the action, and you don't know what's going on. It's like walking into the living room, and the movie's already playing, and you're halfway through. You don't know who the good guys and bad guys are. Why is that person punching that person? I don't get it. Here's where we are. Isaiah chapter 7. There's a man named King Ahaz. He is the king of the southern tribe of Judah. This is part of God's people. And King Ahaz has a political problem. The Assyrian Empire is expanding and threatening to gobble up and consume all the surrounding little nation states, including uh, Israel and the tribe of Judah. And the Assyrian Empire has extended an invitation to King Ahaz, offering an alliance, offering a partnership. Uh, Now, the northern, the ten northern tribes of Israel have banded together against the Assyrian army, and they have also extended an invitation to King Ahaz to form an alliance with them against the Assyrians. So King Ahaz is caught between two political sides who are going to war against each other. And in the midst of this, God, through the prophet Isaiah, sends a message to King Ahaz, reminding Ahaz that he has promised not to abandon his people, and he offers to send him a sign. And the biblical language says, as high as the heavens or as deep as Sheol, which is kind of a hyperbolic way of saying, ask for anything. If you are having trouble believing Ahaz, if you're having trouble having faith, if you're having trouble trusting God, ask for a sign. And God's saying, I'll give you any sign you like so long as you trust me and don't give in to the kind of temptation to form a political alliance with either one of these two different sides. Now, I think this is kind of an aside, but it's just worth noting. Don't all of us want a sign from God? I mean, it might be that this moment you're in right now is the moment where you desperately feel like you need a sign from God. Or maybe you can think back to a previous season where you felt like you needed a sign from God, or maybe you've even asked for one. Everybody wants a sign from God, right? The, The problem is... So often, when we ask for a sign from God, if the Lord chooses to respond, we don't always get the, the kind of sign or the confirmation that we want. I'm thinking of a time that I was in college, and there were a group of guys uh, that I was friends with, and a couple of them were dating, and they were sort of senior year, right on the edge of deciding whether or not to propose and get too serious kind of with their girlfriend. And I remember one of them saying, like, I just need a sign from God, whether I am, like, with the right person, Yeah? And I just think it's so funny because what if God had responded with, I'm actually calling you to a lifetime of celibacy, right? You would just sit there and go, I want a different sign, (laughs) right? (laughs) Sometimes the way God responds to our request or our demand for a sign, it's not really in the way that we want. It turns out that we only want signs from God if they already align with our desires. And that's what we see in King Ahaz. He's already made up his mind. 
he's going to form an alliance with the Assyrian Empire. They are the stronger of the two. He's just making good political decisions here. You got two different sides demanding your allegiance. Go with the bigger and badder one, the one who's probably going to win the war. That's what Ahaz is thinking. And so when God offers to send King Ahaz a sign, he puts on this faux righteousness, this like faux faith, where he says, I won't put God to the test. It's his way of sort of using biblical language to hold God at arm's distance and say, I don't actually want to engage with God at that level. I've already made up my mind politically. So here's how God responds. God says to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah uh, that he will give a sign, but it's a curious sign. It's the sign of a child who will be called Emmanuel. And I know probably not everybody walked in the room this morning up to date on their Hebrew name etymology and scholarship. That's okay. We'll catch you up. So this name Emmanuel means God with us. And if you break that word Emmanuel apart, it actually, it very literally means like him who is with us, God. God is with us. And that word with has a dual meaning, doesn't it? What does it mean to be with somebody? Well, in one hand, it means to be present, Right? So if someone's with you, they are present with you. Very simple. But if you are going into a battle, what does it mean that somebody is with you? Well, it means they're for you, right? They're not just present. They are an ally. They are on your side. So when we think about what it means with this word Emmanuel, this name Emmanuel means, it means God is with us. God is for us. It means God is an ally. And the word Emmanuel is actually the connecting link between the two scriptures that were read this morning. I don't know if you noticed that, but the first one from Isaiah 7, less familiar. The second one from Matthew 1, very familiar, especially around this time of year, right? You've got the uh, young woman, girl, really, Mary, and you've got an angel that appears to her and tells her that the power of God's going to come upon her and that she is going to miraculously conceive and have a child, and the child is going to be named Emmanuel. If you look at the cover art on the front of the liturgy that you received when you walked in, you'll see kind of an iconographic depiction of this scene. And what you might hear in the words of the angel to Mary is, again, an invitation to trust God, to trust that God is with her and that God is for her, because that's what Emmanuel means. And Mary, to her credit, consents. And Mary trusts where Ahaz doubted. Mary succeeds where Ahaz failed. And in doing so, Mary becomes what theologians would later call Theotokos. And I know we're doing a little wordy this morning, but that word Theotokos, Theo, God, Tokos, bearer or taker, God bearer. It's a, it's a theological way of describing what Mary becomes because as she carries the infant Christ in her own womb, she becomes the carrier, the bearer, of God himself. So Mary, when she consents and trusts the Lord, becomes Theotokos, the God-bearer. And it's just a kind of a little side note here, because I don't know all the different backgrounds that we have represented in this room right now, but if Roman Catholics are perhaps maybe a bit guilty of making too much of Mary, I think it might be fair to say that Protestants could equally be accused of making too little of Mary. Contemplating what it meant for Mary to succeed where Ahaz failed is actually a big deal. And to a first century audience, this would be inescapable. Ahaz was royalty and he was male. The kind of person everyone would expect to hear from God and to boldly and successfully and courageously obey God. Who is Mary? 
She is average, she is common, and she is female. And to a first century audience, that would be significant. And Mary is the one that everyone would expect to either back out, out of fear, or to just mess things up. But Mary is the one who actually shows tremendous courage, and Ahaz is the one who ends up being the coward. And so as 21st century hearers of this story, back to the present, when we encounter this name Emmanuel, there is embedded within that name, as it strikes our ears, the same invitation that was on offer to Ahaz and on offer to Mary, which is the invitation to trust and to know that God is with you and God is for you. God is both present and he is an ally. That's the invitation. But even as we name that together, it would be right if we were all to be emotionally and self-aware people, and it would be good to be that, right? We must name the absurdity of this. And some of you already got there ahead of me. You've been feeling this for a few minutes now. Because it doesn't feel like God is present, and it doesn't feel like God is for you or for us. I mean, what does it feel like? Let's just be emotionally honest for a minute. It feels like God is absent, right? You pray, and what happens? Nothing, at least a lot of the time. You ask for a sign and don't get anything, at least much of the time. And that kind of spiritual feeling, that warmth, that spark, that spiritual awareness of God's presence, most of the time just isn't there. And so instead of feeling God's presence, we actually end up feeling God's absence most of the time. And then does it feel like God is for you or does it feel maybe perhaps more like God is against you? Well, It seems like what I want for my life is so often different from what God wants for my life. And if I'm being honest, what I want for my life seems an awful lot better than what God might want for my life. And so I begin to be deeply suspicious, even skeptical of what God might want for me and for my life. Uh, Maybe God wants to, maybe God just wants to punish me. Maybe he's just trying to make it hard on me. Maybe challenge me. Maybe kind of, maybe that'll get me to grow, right? Maybe I'll trust better if life got harder. Maybe God just wants me to stop having fun. Maybe God doesn't want you to become your full, unauthentic self. Maybe God wants to suppress your identity or your sexuality or your purpose or your community, the things you want that make you the most you. And at this point, as you're listening, you're probably thinking, well, hang on just a second, Dan. I think you're making kind of a false correlation there. I get what you're saying. I don't really think God is trying to oppress me, though. I I think God God is not my enemy. God's good. God's on my side. You know who's against me? It's the church. It's God's institution that feels like it's against me. And so perhaps I need to separate my faith in God, who is good, from the institution of the church, which is bad, right? Do you feel this? I feel this all the time. Do you know why that dynamic exists and is so prevalent in our cultural moment? It has a lot to do with that word, Emmanuel. Not everything to do with it, but a lot to do with it. This isn't the only explanation, but it is a good explanation. So many followers of Jesus do not know and experience the presence of God. God's withness, his ally-ness, I'm just making up words, his presence, his allegiance. And even though Christians continue to believe Christian doctrine, we so often do not know the comfort and security of God being with us and being for us. And so instead of becoming, as Mary did, Theotokos, God-bearers to the world who carry the light of the love of Jesus to our neighbors and to our city, instead we become just a bit more like Ahaz. We withdraw and are not present, or when we engage and are present, we do so with aggression against neighbors, 
not as allies. And so without God as an ally, we begin to seek other allies because even, live, even little people, like everyone, even little Christians must have somebody on their team. You need somebody in your corner, someone who's got your back, someone who's going to pick you up, someone who's on your side. And so where do we start looking for other allies? Well, where did Ahaz look for other allies? In political compromise, right? This is not a metaphor, y'all. Isaiah 7 is the story of the choice between trusting God and trusting that he is with you and for you or compromising politically in order to preserve your way of life. It's not a metaphor. That's the story. And so there's an invitation here to see God and understand and relate to God as an ally who is with you and for you. But there's also the absurdity of this because where is God after all? It doesn't feel like he's with me. It doesn't feel like he's for me. It certainly doesn't feel like the church is with me and for me. And so I might need to make other allegiances other places. How could anyone ever untangle that kind of mess? Listen, if you can. It is into that tangled mess of emotions and doubts and fears and politics that comes Christmas. Emmanuel is not a concept or an idea. Emmanuel is a child, a person. And the answer to our emotional and spiritual and political entanglements is, this is so hilarious, an out-of-wedlock, unasked-for pregnancy. How is that the solution? (laughs) And yet it is. God puts himself right in the middle of our problem. God makes the move, saying in the incarnation of the Son of God as the infant Jesus, I am your ally, and I am showing up uninvited, whether you're looking for me or not. I am present with you. In the incarnation of Christ, God is saying, literally and physically, I am present with you. The incarnation is not a metaphor. The baby carried in Mary's belly was not and is not a symbol of a spiritual idea. He was and is himself, God's presence with us. And God is also saying in the incarnation, I am for you. God did not enter our world to conquer it by force or to chastise us for not being good enough people. God came in the incarnation to offer himself for our well-being. Just think about the life of Jesus as it plays out. Let's just name some high watermarks. Think about the healings of Jesus and the way that he comes to restore those who are hurt and sick and ailing. Think about the kindness and the care of Jesus. Think about the attention he gives to the outsider, to the one who is lonely and vulnerable and disconnected. Think about the teaching of Jesus the way that he speaks truth into confusing situations and the way that he so boldly speaks truth into powerful situations. Think about the miracles and the feeding of Jesus. Think about the way he fills hungry bellies. Think about the way he restores broken limbs. Think about the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus. The way that he sees in the crowd the most hurting person, the most ashamed person and guilty person and goes to them to forgive them. Think about the crucifixion and death of Jesus, the ultimate self-giving when Jesus surrenders himself for us, for the world. And then think about the resurrection hope of Jesus, how Christ rises not only for himself. Think about this. It's a little absurd to say Jesus rises not so just that he isn't dead anymore. Jesus rises for you to guarantee and make a down payment on your own resurrection. The resurrection is for you just as much as the crucifixion is for you. 
And think about the sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. God saying to you in the Holy Spirit, I am coming to make my home in you so that I am present with you always, so that you never have to know a moment of absence, but always an eternity of presence. And think about the gift of this table and how in the Eucharist, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, there is the real presence of Jesus with us. Y'all, this table is not a metaphor. There's real bread and real wine on it. And as we eat it and as we drink it, we are able to know in our bodies in a way that our minds still don't fully understand that Jesus is present with us, just as present as the reality of those elements. One of the ways that we talk about what we do together as a church, what Redeemer Anglican Church does as a body, is that we do gospel formation for missional presence. And what I hope that you're picking up on in this story, in the story of Emmanuel, is that the story of Emmanuel is the story of the gospel. God come to know us, to be present with us, to redeem us, and to save us, and to make us new, but then for a purpose that we might become as Mary became. Theotokos, the God-bearers, the one who then go and bear the love and the light of Jesus to our neighbors and to our city. And so, if we are to be a church that does gospel formation for missional presence, then we must become a church that is Emmanuel-shaped, both individually and communally, becoming this Theotokos together, these God-bearers. And in order to do that, we have to first know the presence of God and know God as an ally. There's a receiving part of this where you you have to first receive it and know it. Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that he is for you? Or are you, unfortunately, one of those people who has spent so much time either in church or out of church falsely believing that God has somehow set himself against you and that he withholds his presence until you get your stuff together? And only then will he stir and spark those warm spiritual feelings that every human being so desperately longs for. Do you know that God is with you and he is for you? And then there is ascending, where you are sent to go and be and bear the presence of God to neighbors and city. And and it might just be worth just a few minutes of our time to think about all the different interactions that you and I will have over the next couple weeks. Because you and I will spend time not only in our own homes with whoever we live with, whether it's a spouse or a family or a roommate, Uh, But also, we'll spend time with coworkers. There might be office Christmas parties to go to. There will certainly be neighbors to interact with. There will certainly be strangers in the grocery store to interact with and fight over the last candy cane for, right? There's so many human interactions that we're all going to have over the next few weeks. What is your posture? What does it mean to be missionally present? If our lives are shaped by Emmanuel, it means that we show up as allies, that is our posture. We show up, we're present, and we're allies. We are four. So think about over the next few weeks as so many marriages are put under strain as you go through the holiday season, right? So if you are married and if you've talked with your spouse over the past couple weeks about how stressful this time of year is, just know that you are normal. Every marriage feels that way this time of year. What might it mean for the two of you to say to each other, in this season, I am with you and I am for you? I want to be your ally. What might it mean for you to go to extended family gatherings filled with all of the hilarious and at times sometimes heartbreaking awkwardness that those times bring and to show up in those places as an ally, saying to the people to whom you are related, sometimes by choice and sometimes not by choice, 
that I am with you and I am for you. What might it mean for you to go to your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors and to be that ally, to be the one who is with them and for them? Everyone needs an ally. Every single human you interact with is desperate for someone who is in their corner. And the privilege that you might have is to show up as someone who is that, who is that person who is with them and for them. In Jesus, God offers himself to us as our ally and invites us to trust that he is present with us and that he is for us. And if you and I respond in the way of Mary and not in the way of Ahaz, then we become Theotokos. We become the ones who bear God, the witness the presence, the foreness, the allegiance of God to our neighbors and to our city. And listen, when we do this, listen if you can, our neighbors just might begin to experience that God is with them and that God is for them because they experience that the church is with them and for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are with us and you are for us. Thank you for Emmanuel. Lord, would you help us to receive this and would you help us to embody this? In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit redeemerrva.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.